Welcome to Anxiety Club. My name is Trevor Pogue. Hi, everybody. My name is Carl Benitez. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, everybody. We want to start off with thanking... Everyone. Everyone, but more importantly... More importantly, our listeners, and more specifically, listener Crystal. Hi, Crystal. I don't Hi, know, Crystal. I don't know if you're caught up to the show. People are doing the proper podcast etiquette where you start from the beginning, and then you hear... Each episode in numerical order as the numbers get higher. It's a good way. We're going to explain to you etiquette for podcasting. So in case you didn't like us before, here's your reason (laughs) to not like us. How are you going to get all those hilarious inside jokes that we tell in episode 20 if you haven't listened to episode one? People won't know and it becomes difficult, but... She's been doing it from number one, and she's donating money to the podcast, which is helping make the podcast. She donated it through, like all of you guys can, through... Through paypal.me slash Carl Benitez, my name, K-A-R-L-B-E-N-I-T-E-Z. She's helping contribute to the making of this show, and we are eternally thankful, Chris. As always, we're always accepting donations of any amount. Thank you, (laughs) listeners. This week on the show, we have Jeff Emptman. Emptman, he is a podcaster. He's a podcaster. He has a show. A bigger podcaster than us. (laughs) He has a show called Here Be Monsters. It airs off of KCRW down in Santa Monica. It's a show about sort of confronting one's fears and demons and the darkness of the unknown. Jeff was very honest, and he talks a lot about uh, his childhood, growing up, what his family was like, and a general shyness that he had, and and this is part of what the show is, and he was very candid, and uh, it was fascinating talking with him. It was really it was good to hear someone who, entering podcasts very much from an artistic standpoint, yeah. and hearing him talk about how he's used it sort of as like therapy and sort of how he's used it to overcome some of the social anxiety that he has. And it was just really interesting to hear him talk about podcasting because he makes a exceptional show that is very specific and sounds a lot like how I imagine Jeff views the world. Yes. <laughs> it's te- storytelling through his ears and his brain and and he does a great job at it. So let's get right to the conversation. Hey, Jeff. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Jeff Entman is here from Here We Monsters podcast in our university district studio right now. It's a pleasure to have you here, Jeff. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> Jeff, how yeah. long have you been in Seattle making podcasts? Oh, oh, that's a tough one. You started off with the hardballs. <laughs> uh, I moved here in um, 2013. 2013. Where from, did you move from? from? Where? I was, I was living in Boulder for about a year and a half. Mm. Is your family from Boulder? No, I just I graduated college and I freaked out. Freaked? What do you What do you mean? I I didn't know what I was doing. I was like trying to do something and it didn't work out. And I was like, well, I got a friend in Boulder. I guess I'm moving there. Where were you Where are you originally from? I am originally from a town where after 10 p.m. the only two things that are open are a laundromat and a grocery store where you can get a dozen donuts for two dollars. <laughs> What did one do? Longest town town? name ever. (laughs) What's the name of this place? I'm from Pullman, Washington. Pullman, Washington. Oh, your phone says that. Oh, it does? You still have the phone number. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, You got to change that. Did you go to Wazoo? I didn't. I went to Western. Smart. What was your family like? My family, um, they're very nice people. Very nice, very polite, very um, high achieving. They taught me to to, uh, be frugal. Um, these the answers you're looking for? Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, I really want to know, were they podcasters? Oh, God, no. No, <laughs> no, no. No, they're, um, they're all high achievers. My mom, my mom is a, a teacher. Uh, she's retired. My dad was a family doctor. He's retired. Um, my brother is a mechanical engineer. 
uh, he's very smart. And most of the rest of my family are like doctors and farmers. Yeah. How did you get into arts and radio? Um, well, I was, I was uh, trying to be rebellious. Okay. And that's how it happened. You got sick of the donut shop and the laundromats? You're like, I'm going to go oh, make radio. Oh, those are all tied in. <laughs> like, these, are all, these are all one in the same, I think. <laughs> what was your first story you did? Oh, well, so I worked in college radio at, at Western. I worked at KUGS there. And I was a news director there. And I was just kind of, um, it's kind of a position where, like, you know, you give a, I was what, I was like 20 years old. You have like a 20-year-old, like an office and like a staff. And it's like, like I was just out there, like I was swimming in the, in the open ocean at that point. And, um, and, and I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So like I made radio stories in college, but I was very unpracticed. And then after college, I moved down to Boulder and, and, and that's when I like kind of started developing things more. And, and really the first radio story I started working on was an interview that I did right at the tail end of, of my time in Bellingham with, um, the, uh, uh janitor at the radio station who would just kind of show up from time to time in the middle of the night when I was like there late on an edit and we would just talk and he, he I didn't realize this for a long time but he actually listened to my radio show um and would always like ask me questions about this and, and, and all that and so I started asking questions about him and I found out he's just this really fascinating guy um and he he told me stories about um his time as a scuba diver in the Puget Sound and he would just go on these really really long dives and he, he told me this one story um, in the middle of the night once uh, about about doing a night dive out near Tacoma and, and um, getting his breath in concert with an octopus that he found and just like hanging out under this dock with this giant octopus just like <sighs> just like breathing in and breathing out um, with this octopus e- eventually at some point I just realized that I needed to sit down with this guy and interview him okay. and so um, one morning when he was getting off work and I was just waking up um, I think around six in the morning um, he picked me up and we went uh, got donuts and then went out to this park because um, it was the only like quiet place I knew in the city where we could um, where we could talk for a while and in like the freezing cold I think it was like uh, like April or something like that and it's pretty cold um, we sat there for a couple hours and just just shot the shit about about octopus and and whatnot and then and then so you asked me what, what the first story I produced was it was it was um when after then I moved to Boulder and I I was living by I was pretty much living by myself I had roommates but I never saw them um just hanging out in the basement um I kind of taught myself sound design and audio editing just just trying to make this like really dreamy soundscape of him underwater um hanging out with this octopus did you yeah. have you did you intentionally look for stories really close by like when you were doing radio because I know I know that the challenge is do you look personal or do you look yeah. sort of on a larger scale? And this janitor was a guy you knew mm-hmm. who saw on a daily basis. Was it intentional or was it just, I like to talk to people. This guy talked to me. Hey, wow, this is an interesting story. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually pretty lazy as, as far as, as far as people go. And, <laughs> and he was a booking of convenience. Oh he yeah. Was the absolutely. guy down the hall from you. And it just happened to work out that he had a good octopus story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like, Honestly, one of the questions I get um, most often about the show, because the show is, is it's largely character driven. And and um, a lot of these people are just like really strange that wind up on the podcast, um, including like the most recent episode I did with this guy who's who's like and he considers himself a god to ants. And he like keeps all these ants and like he tries to figure out like whether or not he should intervene in their lives or not. And it's like so people always ask me like and he's just a really weird guy. Um, but people always ask me like where I find these people and. 
and honestly, I, I don't go out looking for folk. They, they just always kind of show up. And I don't think that's anything inherent to me, aside from the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm usually willing to hear someone out if they want to talk to me. And like those people that I often hear disparage is like, you know, those like, I'm doing big air quotes right mm-hmm. now, but like those crazy people like that want to talk to you on the bus or something like that. It's like, yeah, some days, some days that, that bothers me, but most of the time I'll, I'll, I'll hear someone out, you know? Are you a magnet for these people or do you just feel that you have such a respectful ear and that, I don't know, it, it almost seems like you, you're aware that you can mine for gold with these people, that if someone just shuts them off, then they're not seeing the true octopus story within us all or within that, that weirdo person on the bus. Yeah, I, I, don't think it's, I don't think that's a magnet sort of thing. I think it's just that I'm not a repellent. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't push those people away. Like, there's, there's interesting people all around us that um, might not follow the, the same social contract that's like the dominant one, you know, but like, Every now and then, you know, a lot of these folk just like have something to say. They want to say it, um, and and I, I think I'm just slightly more likely to hear someone out than, you than shut to, them down. Did you have to cultivate any of these techniques? Were you comfortable listening and talking to people from mm-hmm. the beginning? I, I haven't thought about that. I can't think of a time when I wouldn't do it. I'm kind of scared of strangers, though. So like. Like it did take me a while. Yeah. Okay. No, you're right. Like it did take me a while to get comfortable with that. Um, I'm not afraid of strangers really anymore, but I used to be for sure. What did that, what did that look like? Fear of strangers? It, it meant that I wouldn't have talked to someone oh, that okay. I didn't know. Like I would a shy kid, introverted yes, or stick definitely. to yourself mostly. Yeah. And that's still true. Yeah. That's still true. Was, um, so did here be monsters, come out of that fear or did come or did it just come out of the opportunity that you were seeing um all of these strangers talking to you with really interesting stories and you saw an opportunity there oh absolutely it it, i mean it's a it's a show that's birthed out of my fear of strangers like um essentially what what came about that same time that i was i was talking to john the the octopus um janitor that was the first story i heard of yours oh really i heard it on kuw oh yeah yeah. i was undergrad i was like this fucking guy (laughs) Is doing it was it was like radio lab style soundings. Yeah. I was like, this is cool. Yeah. He's talking to Janibers about octopuses, shit's higher level. Yeah. Well they said they they said I wrote you an email and they said like this guy's coming to Seattle from like Colorado or something. Oh I was yeah. like, I don't know who this is, but this is, this guy's good. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to a lot of radio lab back in that time. I think it I think it really shows up in the nice. early episodes, you know. Nice. Uh just that like kind of derivative uh sort of style. Um where was I going? I, I had some I had some big thought for you on this, and I can't. Oh I can't no! Quite well, spawning out of oh fear yeah, of strangers. And so, so that's the thing is like around the same time that I was talking with John and and um, doing all that, I was I was also about to graduate college, and you know I kind of had this idea built up in my head that like you know you go to kindergarten, you go to elementary school, middle school, high school, college, and then you're supposed to be like a finished person, like a completed human being that like you did it is ready yeah. is ready to fully cook. just like do it. And it's like I had this moment of huge panic just in my final quarter, um, my final quarter of uh, uh, school where. I was realizing all of the shortcomings I still had as a person. And the biggest one, the one that really bothered me was that I was still afraid of like everything because I'd spent my entire life kind of in these, um, uh, I, I don't know, coddled might be the wrong word, but like communities where things were safe, you know, and I, 
I was scared of the outside world. Um, safe, safe in the sense that there was no danger, or that there was no sort of uh, change or difference. That what did it, 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 like? it was, I mean, it was safe in the sense that I grew up in in affluent enough communities, but um, it was also safe in the sense that um, I I knew what the I knew what the rules were. I knew what the playbook was. I knew what I had to do to succeed. Okay, um, and then suddenly like at um how old was i i was like i was just shy of 22 when i graduated um realizing that realizing that yeah i I didn't actually i didn't actually have my stuff put together um and so i was having all these like like uh insomnia issues where i was like just laying awake at night like realizing that i was still terrified of everything um and the best way that i knew how to pursue that was through chasing those things down, pinning them down. Um, and the excuse that I needed to chase the things I was afraid of down was a project. And that project turned into the podcast. And that's, that's kind of some, sometimes people get confused by the name of the show. Um, but that, that's like a really, a really literal allegory the here be monsters the idea of like, like on these old maps or one, on one specifically in, in China, which the map maker had not been to, as far as I know, they wrote in Latin, um, what was it? It was like Hicks Vint Dracones or something like that. I, I don't know Latin. <laughs> Dracones. And yeah, it was, it was something like that. I don't. I don't know Latin whatsoever. But, um, but like, like there are dragons here. Like, like you stay away. You know, like you're gonna get you're gonna get messed up if you go to this place. Um, that's that's really where where the show comes out of is is like I had all these places in my mind where I wasn't supposed to be going, um, and I'd never been before, and I was I was terrified of them. Had you taken that approach to other fears or insecurities uh, before that in life, going directly in rather than straying from it and going a different direction? The first time I really did that intentionally was when I was just, it's, it's like the best thing Facebook's done for me. Um, I was just like scrolling through pictures on Facebook as, as, as one does, you know, and um, just out of nowhere as a friend of mine, um, uh, had a picture of herself holding a placenta, like a human placenta, right? Like a bloody organ it's a huge organ they're like the size of like a dinner plate right um and like full of veins and like lumpy like one side is veiny and one side is lumpy and um she had written something in the comment about like preparing it to eat right there's a human human organ you know they do that in korean culture no they bury it i don't know sorry there's interesting there are placenta recipes people eat placenta yeah and i I could go into the whole like version of this story but like like in in a nutshell like There's, there are scientists trying to figure out whether or not this is a recent phenomenon or whether or not people have always done this mm-hmm. because mammals eat placentas with the exception of humans, camels and llamas and alpacas. Mm. Uh, all, the, all, the land, all the land mammals eat their placenta with the exception of like us and like uh, the, the camel family. <laughs> And Which so we are clearly cousins of. Yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and so even like, even like a lot of apes do it. Yeah. Um, other apes, I should say. Um, and so like, I was, I was scrolling through it. I was like, this is really bothersome to me. Like this picture is really bothersome to me. We weren't expecting to see a placenta and now you got placenta. Right. <laughs> like it just out of nowhere. Like I know this person's going to eat this or going to prepare it for someone uh-huh. else to eat. Uh-huh. And, but I also knew the person and I knew the person wasn't a bad person. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm feeling queasy as you're describing <laughs> it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I started looking into it and it turns out Bellingham is a, a city with plenty of people who eat their placentas. And I had um, not that friend, but another friend of mine uh, who I, I was just like, yo, like, I know you do this. Like 
if you have one come across your table i guess a placenta like if you ha- if you if she was she was a midwife uh-huh. i think she still is actually she's a midwife and um if you have one come by just like let me know um and so i just get a call one afternoon she's like oh my friend gave birth like they ate half of it like in a lasagna like right after the birth but um i got the other half so if you want to come by like um we can do this and so i just hung out with her for an afternoon and she like uh cooked this placenta with like lemon and pepper and ginger i think was the other thing and she like steamed it and then she was going to dehydrate it. She cut it up, dehydrated it. Placenta um, jerky. Uh, and then ground it into a powder mm. and put it in pills. I, I wasn't there for that part, but I was there recording everything in the meantime. We're and, using every part of the placenta right now. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you dined on it? I did not. No. So, so it wasn't mine, right? Okay. And, and she, didn't, she didn't eat it either because it was like the, the, she was giving it back to the she parents. She was making it for the rightful owner of the right. placenta. But yes. she did at the end of the time, she was going to... Um, Oh wait, no. I think she did take a sip of it. Uh, so, so you steam it, right? Uh-huh. In, in a, like a vegetable steamer. Well, not a vegetable in this sense, but um, in a vegetable, you know, those metal things with yeah. the the uh, kind of it looks like a sunflower yeah. almost. Um, and that was boiling on the stove, and the water underneath was collecting drippings, essentially, right? And so she, um, she I think she took a sip of it, and she offered it to me as well, and I almost did. And I didn't. Were you holding the cup and like, no, I can't do this? I smelled it. Thinking, you smelled it. I did smell it, yeah. What held you back? Um, I think that I wasn't still entirely comfortable with it. Like, I became massively desensitized to it over the course of the afternoon. But I was still I was still sensitive to it in that it's, it, you know, I'm not sure if you ever, like, smelled blood before. Mm-hmm. But, like, blood has a smell to it. And, um... I mean, this is all complicated by the fact that I was then and I am now a vegetarian. And I was like, it's, it's like human vegetarian. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like I hadn't like really the examined that before. we ask ourselves. What, <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. What, what, what amazing philosophical uh, positions you put yourself in yeah. in, your, in your podcasting ways. Right. Um, cooking um, placenta and steaming it in a kitchen. Yeah. <sighs> Would you do it now? Would you try it now? Um. I think I probably, okay, so this is the thing is, I think I would, in that situation, I wouldn't feel any obligation to, mm-hmm. but like if I was like entering someone's space and it, it, my general rule these days is like, if I enter someone's space and like, like someone's doing me like a big favor essentially, or if like someone is like reaching out to me in a way that they have no obligation to, and they offer me something, I'm almost always going to take it, mm. you know, with, with probable exceptions. Um, like, I like, I don't know, like attitude, it, you though. know, if like someone offered me like, um, uh, like heroin or if like someone offered me, um, uh, I don't know, like a gun or something like that. I think I would, I would have some like I've more to ask. Yeah. Gotta... <laughs> much, yeah. We have interesting oh, traditions well, heroin on the podcast. Gun over here. Heroin, yeah. <laughs> it's just tradition to hold it. You don't sure. have to use yeah. it for anything. Well, you do the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but you have this mindset of yeah. you're, you're going into someone's arena and you're going to kind of right. play by their rules to, right. to some extent for the sake of a story or for the sake of just sort of being respectful of the person. I, 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 find myself um i think i think i'm sometimes polite to a fault Hmm. and i think there's there's a intense urge that i feel to be polite Hmm. um and and i think it would be impolite like when someone opens themselves up to you to shut them down you know this was less of an issue because it was someone i knew already Mm -hmm. um it wasn't like hers 
You know what I mean? It was her job. Like I was watching her do her job, sure. which is a little bit different. Um, if it had been the actual mother, I think I would have, at least today, I would probably would say yes. Mm-hmm. It, unless I thought it was like actually going to hurt me, which I don't think there's any evidence that it would have. Yeah. It was cooked, you know? <laughs> well so, cooked. The podcast was on after that. You had the story, you were ready, you had done it once, and you yeah. knew sort of the trajectory of confronting uncomfortable things. To a certain degree, yeah. And then and then the the second time that I really did that. Actually, I'm terrible at history. This I could be getting these things all out of order. <laughs> it's all right, I will like, fact check you. I, I realized like <laughs> we're gonna diligently comb through this and, and yeah. point at all the Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jeff was wrong about all of you, this. You, yeah, I, I encourage you to fade me down <laughs> and then just like read the right thing on top of it. Because uh, like yeah, I'm pretty sure I did that interview with the octopus guy. I think I was actually in fall. Now that I think about it, it's quite like, all right. It's <laughs> just the leaves like, were yeah. brown and and people were yeah. No, it's fine. if it's more than a year ago, I figure it's like. Anyways, you it's do fungible, host you know? Here Be Monsters, right? That is you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the other Jeff Edmund, <laughs> who exists, by the way. Oh, of course. Um, he's on. He's a uh, Washington Grain Grower Society. He's mm. a bit, I've, I've Heavy met, hitter. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've met him before. <laughs> My parents buy beef from him sometimes. Oh, well, nice. Yeah. Um, um, so, so I, I, I'm actually I'm spacing on the order of things here, but but like that was one of the first examples. John the octopus guy was one of the first examples, and then the third thing was the big thing that was like that that insomnia that I was telling you about that I was feeling. I was like, I need to do something like big to confront this because it was it was just eating at me constantly. And so, um, <laughs> my my big plan to get over my fear of strangers was I was just going to spend the the summer hitchhiking, and so I did that. And I, I hitchhiked from uh, Bellingham to Mississippi and back um, over the course of a summer. Uh, and that really helped. Tape recorder in hand? Uh-huh. And a camera, too. Yeah. Um, did you get the idea from Scott Carrier? I didn't. No. Just, it's independent. Maybe it's I, a radio, radio bug. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like a media thing. Like, yeah. it's like a trope for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like kind of a frustrating trope, too, because, it, I mean, all, all tropes are frustrating to a certain degree. Um, my first, my first goal was personal and my second goal was professional. Um, yeah. Did you achieve your goals? Most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Did that turn into a piece or was that just Mm -hmm. another one of confronting the fears? Yeah, absolutely. So of the things I've talked about, all of these have been episodes so far. Um, the octopus episode is number three. The placenta episode I think is number six. Um, and then the, uh, uh, hitchhiking is a two part thing. Um, it was 17 and 18 and I recently revisited it in the most, um, current season as episode 61, where I, I took, I took a section of my time hitchhiking. It was when I was, um, so when I was in Arkansas, um, and a little bit of Mississippi, it was just like an incredibly eventful 24 hours where I just met some of the strangest people. Um, and I took that and I expanded that out into a full episode as well. So this, uh, so that's the sort of the fear motif, the confronting um, head on. Where did the soundscape come from? I read that you, I read you. They wrote about you in the Guardian or something. Like oh that. yeah, 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 yeah. And you said, um, "This is how I hear the world because I grew up in basements." Or something <laughs> along. The, it was a great quote. They ended. Yeah. They ended it on it. But I wanted you to go more on that because it's a very particular sound that the podcast has. I was saying during that ant god episode it was it was making me anxious and and jittery like it has this slow burn element to it that that 
it's very subtle with the the fading in and out of these like low drony tones mm-hmm. and the sort of monotonous narration mm-hmm. of the of the main character but yeah. it definitely feels intentional yeah and, and I'm, I'm curious how that how how your audio soundscape crafting comes into play here well Thank you, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm glad that it like comes across yeah. as something and not just like um, uh, my own anxiety. It feels intentional, like, yeah. Because um, because there's there's a lot of different sides to this, but like I think in in simplest terms, um, I, I I was trying to be a photographer. Like that was my first goal, and then I realized I didn't I didn't like the world of professional photography very much because I tried it for a while, and um, I did I did really like um like personal stuff like art photography and portraits and whatnot but there's there's no jobs in that babies and newlyweds yeah um (laughs) yeah exactly like um senior pictures too actually senior pictures (laughs) are pretty fun i like i like i like um i like senior pictures snapshot of the weirdest time in your life (laughs) yeah i actually um, lay on this log real quick (laughs) put your hands underneath your chin the the weirdest photo gig i ever did do you guys like football yeah yeah do you know Folsom field in Boulder, yes. CU Boulder has a yeah. football team, right? I can't remember what their their mascot is. The but. Buffaloes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, it's at least that's the mascot. Go Buffaloes or Bison. Yeah. Bison. Bison. It might be Bison. I think that it's one of those. Anyways, um, it's huge, huge stadium in in kind of roughly the middle of Boulder, um, and uh, what's that? What's that area on top of a stadium called where it's like closed in as a box, something box, the sky box, sky box, yeah. yeah. I once I once shot a bar mitzvah mm. in the Folsom Field skybox <laughs> while a game was going on, or just a no, it was just an event space. It was just a private event, perfect. And like that was like kind of when I realized that like I didn't want to be a photographer. Not for you. Yeah, I was. I'm like I was like okay at it. Wasn't great at it. Yeah. Wasn't terrible. Um, I wasn't hardly charging anything at all. But I, I it was like then when I realized I was like this is this is a lot of trouble. And a lot of awkward situations, and I, I don't think I can do this. Yeah. But all throughout that time, I was um, also uh, uh, shooting uh, my own work, and I still do to a, to a certain degree as well. And I've always kind of focused on um, uh, dawn and dusk, you know, the twilight and, hours. Yeah, I've stopped saying twilight because of the books. Sure. Oh, got Sp- it. People are like, if you, you like twilight, you, the first I like one twilight. I liked. <laughs> we had to read it in English class in high oh, school. Yeah? She, did, my teacher, <laughs> didn't want to <laughs> teach like. <laughs> classics so yeah. she's like ah, this, this does the archetypes we'll read twilight <laughs> yeah. shakespeare Jesus overrated Christ, lady. <laughs> you, you can't say you're into twilight because people think it's right it's sappy vampire right. stories i mean yeah. i'm into vampires too sure but, you know it's like i mean who isn't but, um but I, I was always in, in my personal work i almost always was using this like kind of soft like always dark photo almost always dark photos darker side photos um because that was that was my favorite time of the day and like when it came to the soundscaping, like I had spent so many years developing this visual aesthetic, um, that I just tried to do my best to, uh, uh, not start from square one. Right. And so I tried to take all of my visual knowledge and just poured it over to, um, to audio. And so like, I think my visual work and my audio work are, are roughly in the same, in the same, um, place. And that's where I developed that aesthetic from. Um, yeah, it definitely feels dark and, yeah dusky when you listen to an episode it's 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 muted and it's not it's not like there's a lot of you know slapsticks and doors opening and closing and footsteps or whatever but it's yeah. little things one of my favorite ones we uh 
we've been trying to hone our own sort of what is this podcast about the anxiety club podcast uh-huh. about um, one of my favorite ones. You have this sort of reoccurring theme of here be monsters, a podcast about, and then you enter in mm-hmm. my favorite one was from the nudist episode mm-hmm. where it's a podcast about breasts slapped on the water, like breaching whales. Uh, and you had a perfectly placed seagull sound effect somewhere in there. <laughs> it's perfectly um, timed. And, and, and uh, uh, I took great appreciation of that. Um, a question I want to ask sort of specifically really drilling, da- drilling down into, into your audio aesthetic is who are you stealing from? Oh, when 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 you're putting together an episode Mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm going to do this seagull sound effect. And that's so classic yada yada because you love them so much. Who's the it might not even be an audio medium type artist, but who are you stealing from when you when you're producing the sound aesthetic for these episodes? Yeah, um, a lot of people, I think. And some of them are conscious and some of them are unconscious for sure. Ooh, excuse me, for sure. Um, I think I think probably, uh, you know, I, I look back at the most kind of developmentally rich times in my life, and I, I, think, I think I'm stealing from the artists I liked back then, right? Like, um, ones that come to mind immediately are uh, Jim Jarmusch, the filmmaker. Um, also, um, Oh man, this is putting me on the spot. Um, also, uh, Richard Avedon, the photographer, famous portrait photographer. Okay. Um, also, um, William Eggleston, another fantastic photographer who very rarely used people in his work. He's just huge wide angle um, shots of, of landscapes and buildings. And then I also think a lot about um, The Knife. Do you know the band The Knife? No. I think a lot about The Knife. Hmm. The Knife was a, a band that I listened to a lot when I was between the ages of um, 20 and 25. They broke up recently. They're a, a very, very dark and uh, deep electronic duo. I think they're brother and sister. They might be cousins mm-hmm. um, from uh, Scandinavia. Really, really dark, fascinating music. And the lead vocalist... Uh, she she pitch shifts herself in these incredible ways where she can have her voice down way deeper than mine is, and you you can still hear what she's saying yeah. to a certain degree. But it's just these like like rattling vocals, um, and then sometimes they'll go up too into these just incredible registers up high with all all the time with like these just incredible arpeggiating synths behind her. Um, those are who I think about when I'm intentionally intentionally stealing um aesthetics interesting yeah and and 75 percent of them aren't even audio based type thing i mean that's i I find that interesting that you're sort of seeing these pictures in your head i'm imagining Mm -hmm. you sitting at an audio editing workstation while picturing some sort of dusky uh photograph in your head and then that sort of gets married in or Mm -hmm. integrated into like the the vibe of the episode it's kind of a fascinating way of of doing it but you can really hear that you're you're trying to craft something that does have a mood mm-hmm. and aids in the aids in the content. When you the the you had the episode about the the guy with the who you interviewed, the guy selling little demon mm-hmm. uh, possessions and things, uh, and yeah, it, it aids in the sort of spookiness or I don't know kookiness of the, yeah. <laughs> of the general tone of the episode. Yeah. I, I try not to be too spooky, but people always read it that way. Yeah, you know, and it it, it always makes me smile because it's not something I, uh, 
I try to do it. It's something where I think, I think if I can say anything about myself, I might not get creeped out as, as easy as, as a lot of folk. Um, cause I don't think, I think of that episode as funny, you know? Yeah. About it's your calming therapeutic voice, Jeff. <laughs> Everything is just sort of like <laughs> it's going um, to be okay. Yeah, you're, Tell you're me mellow, more. bro. You're mellow, <laughs> relaxed, and it's it's working for you. Do you? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, by all means. Um, how? So, if the it sounds like the podcast was large, sort of therapeutic. Yes, like confronting things, uh, art as therapy or story as therapy. Have you found that it's changed you? Yes. In what ways? I'm, I'm less afraid. Like it actually worked. Like I'm, I'm significantly less afraid of things than I used to be. Um, I used to be afraid of, of almost everything that you would be afraid of with the exception of maybe like bugs. Right. Like I've never, I've never been afraid of animals that much. Maybe scorpions, you know, that's a healthy fear. <laughs> yeah. Like scorpions seem like they could actually mess you sure. up. Yeah. Just hold it in your palm. I'm <laughs> yeah. not afraid. I'm not Al- afraid. <laughs> although there are scorpions in Washington. Totally okay. blew my mind. I yeah. had no idea. I looked it up recently. Though. It seems pulmony. It seems like deserty and something that'd be running around in the drier uh, areas of the state. I think there is there is one species of scorpion yeah. or pseudoscorpion, yeah. that, which is a, a separate distinction. I can't quite remember what yeah. they are, but I think they're all arachnids, right? Um, yes. They're arachnids? Let's say yes. Yeah. We're going to go with you we'll, on that one. We'll, <laughs> we'll fact check it later with it. <laughs> Save yeah, that one for the scorpion answer. episode that we have coming up. <laughs> yeah, the, the pseudoscorpion episode. Yeah. Um, but I have I have really noticed that when I when I look at what I'm afraid of now, it's all big things. It's all like it's all like the things that I think I should be because because you should be afraid of s- certain things. Like you should be afraid of like the long term direction of the planet. Like you should be afraid of like like injustices in society. Um, you should be afraid of of things that have like real effects on on you. Like you shouldn't be afraid of like walking up to someone on the street and asking them for directions. You know what I mean? And, and like, I was, I was in the early, like in my earlier adulthood, I was, I was placing all these, all these, um, constraints on myself, um, because I was, I was spending so much of my time worrying about things that were super inconsequential, um, and not like actually worrying about the things that are affecting people's lives in the world. And I have noticed a drastic shift that, that I don't spend hardly any of my daily life worrying about inconsequential things. I think if I stop making the show, it could be very possible for those things to come back. Hmm. But it has been really therapeutic to um, to to explore things that I'm afraid of. And now, as we have more people producing for the show, and I have Bethany, my co-producer, who made that that nudist episode that yeah. you mentioned earlier, um, producing for the show, it's like expanding out just past my own personal cadre of of um, things that I was afraid of. Have you found that repeating themes come up again and again? Mm-hmm. I know we uh, we've looked at a few of them in some on SoundCloud, and some of them are labeled religion. Have you oh, found yeah. that a lot of people share this fear of the big the big man? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Religion is one of my favorite topics. I was religious growing up, and very much so. Religious. What were you? Uh, I was Lutheran. I was ELCA Lutheran. Okay. Um, which is the more liberal wing of of Lutheranism, but I I actually I in in uh, one of my uh, less advised moves that I've made personally, I actually like tried to make it a little bit more conservative than it was, mm. and I have a lot of guilt about that actually. But the thing is, is that by the time I was about seventeen or yeah, about seventeen, I was I was starting to move away from a belief in God. Um, but with that being said, my whole process into and well, my whole process out of religion was not um 
traumatic externally. It was traumatic internally because when you, when you lose your religion, you have to find a new central way of organizing your mind, or at least I did. Um, but the people around me were very supportive uh, throughout both religious and non-religious people. And so kind of like we were talking about before we started, you know, it's like, it's like, I feel very lucky to have had um, in my life an experience with like a five out of five star breakup. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were talking about this before the recording started and, uh, or was it? Did you have that guy? No. It, it, yes, it was before. We bring it up to speed. <laughs> That's Jeff, good. you want to start a rating, a rating service for ex-boyfriends and girlfriends. A Yelp oh, relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you got a great name for it. Oxton. Oh, Exton? Yeah. Exton. Yeah. I think that one's not trademarked yet. So <laughs> not yet. Gonna, now it yeah, is. Pick it up. <laughs> Registered patent. Um, and so and so it was kind of a similar process, this idea of like losing religion and like, like um, everyone I know seems to have had like a really everyone I know who is like raised religious, who is now not religious. seems like a large portion of those people had like a traumatic experience from like people they cared about in their lives and like having to sort that out. We've had a couple stories about that uh, on the show. Um, but I actually had a, a very nice easing out and, and um, found that the people in my life were supportive on both sides. Um, and for that reason, I don't have like a mental block about talking about religion. I don't have any problem going to church and I do wind up in church every now and then as a, as an atheist. Um, and it's not something that bothers me. It, it's something that I feel, um, I've seen both sides of it very, very strongly. And I spent most of my life on the other side of it. So the religious side, the religious side. Yeah. Um, so it's something that I I actually really enjoy talking about and, and thinking about with people. I have no animosity towards religion. Hmm. Yeah. But you find it uh, ripe for material. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, depending on the tradition you're from, like, um, fear can be a central tenant or it can be kind of a more tangential thing. You know, my church never taught me that, that, huh, I, I should be, I, I guess I can't say this for certain, but I don't have any recollection of ever being taught about hell as like a literal place you go. And this is a big debate in Christianity. It's like, is hell real or is hell not real? Mm -hmm. And a large portion of Christianity will tell you like, yes, it is real. Like it is a place where the devil lives. Like you will burn for eternity and suffer for your sins. Right. Um, And then there's a, there's like kind of the wing where I came from, which was the, the teaching seemed more like hell is like a concept. It would be terrible. Like we're not going to tell you it exists or not. And like, we're not sure who goes there. Like, it's like kind of this like really amorphous thing, but I personally was taking it. This is what I was saying. Like I was, I was taking a more conservative interpretation of it than I was being taught where I was like super worried about my friends going to hell. Like I didn't think I was going there, but like I had a, I had <laughs> it's always a, the other guy. Yeah. Like I had a Muslim friend growing up and, and she was great. And like, we got along and, and all of this, but like, you knew, I knew she was going to hell. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And like, it was really, it was really messed up. Like, and I, I, I cannot tell you, like, because I, I, I remember thinking about this for so long, about confronting her about it. And and I cannot remember if I actually ever did or didn't just, like, like talk with her and be like, I really like you. I really don't want you to go to hell. And if I did that, that's, like, actually really messed up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, to try and guilt someone into converting it into de- your religion. It depends you know? on if you're right or not, though. Yeah. I mean, that's... If you're hinging on the things that you believe in your core are... Act, if, if there is a real hell, 
yeah. then this Muslim person is for sure going to it. Right. And yeah, it's, you see her at the gates of heaven. Just like told you so. I knew, I knew <laughs> yeah. it was wrong at the time. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. Where it does seem, I'm dropping my notepad left and right. It does. It does seem. Yes. In in retrospect, from your from your atheist perspective now, that would seem insensitive yeah. slash I don't yeah manipulative or whatever. But yeah, from the other perspective, you're just trying to save a soul. Yeah. Um, and the, and, and again, like the irony here is that like people in my church, like the other people in my church were the type of, of Christians that would like welcome anyone. You know, <laughs> sure. I mean, it was like me, that was sure. the problem. It sure. wasn't, it wasn't the religion's problem. Sure. It was like my fault on that front. Like they were incredibly tolerant, accepting yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I wanted, I mean, you and I got coffee once, mm-hmm. uh, when I wrote you out of the blue. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about, you had an interesting thing where you talked about, your philosophy towards creating art or creating work. And it was, you said something along the lines of you can either create it for them and become a generalist, or you can create it for yourself and wait till they, they come to you. And you seem to have taken that second approach with making a product, the podcast that is entirely sort of your vision of this thing, you and your partner. Right. That is very, it's sort of stamped with your, your, your brand, your, your style. And then you found distribution by not compromising in a sense. Mm-hmm. How did you get to that place? Yeah, I remember. I remember when we talked about this in the in the coffee shop, and um, this is kind of a story I've been telling uh, since since the start of the show. Which I guess we're getting close on five years now. Just oh, I guess more like four, a little bit, a little bit north of four years on the show now. Um, this is something this is something that I can never tell whether this theory I have is actually true or if it's more of that thing where like you do something and then find the justification for it later. So one one thing I know about myself is that I'm like actually pretty hard to work with professionally. And so when I was like, you know, 22 years old and starting the podcast, like it wasn't because I wanted to work for myself necessarily. It was partly because I was trying to get work with other people and I couldn't do it. Right. And so I kind of threw my hands up at a certain point. I was like, okay, I guess I'm, I'm doing this myself. Right. Um, and then it's possible that later I built this justification about why it's sometimes beneficial to do things yourself. But here's, here's how that argument goes is that when you, when you work for someone else, you're, you're making, you're making their work for them. You're helping them. They're helping, you're helping them achieve their vision of, of, um, an artistic aesthetic essentially. Right. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because a, you get paid for it and B, you get to learn from someone who knows what they're doing. Um, the advantages of the other, the other way, which is starting kind of from square one, well, starting, starting from the beginning, um, by yourself is that you get this amazing thing, which is a, a place that's a hundred percent yours. Um, and if you have a good idea, then that is an amazing thing. And I, I felt like I had a good idea at the time. And, and it, it seems that that's, that's borne out in, in my professional life now, but it's like a fucking risky move, you know, because like I didn't make any money off of the show for years. You know, I was losing money on the show until, until about two years ago. Um, but I did have the benefit of having this place that was a hundred percent my aesthetic spot. And if no one tuned into it, then it wasn't like I was going to get fired because I was my own boss. And so and so the benefit of having that that entirely personal space to do what you want is is huge in my mind. 
but it's also because I'm hard to work with. Um, I can't relate to that at, at all, Jeff. <laughs> but yeah, um, there's another element of this though that we talked about. That I'm trying to remember here. Um, can Can you ask me the second part of that question again? The second part being, I'm not sure what the second part was. What was the first part? I'm, I mean, I know that the first part was you were creating this podcast that was entirely owns mm-hmm. your own, so you didn't have to compromise, and you later. Oh found that people were gravitated towards that. Oh, right, right. So this is the second part. You're a specialist in it. Right. And specialist so, in the Here Be Monsters brand or whatever it is. Right. And this was this was the thing that, that, that was that was beneficial to making my own work, which was that I was I was less derivative of, of other things, I think, than I would have been had I started working for someone else. Right. And so just by merit of doing this for several years, um, eventually there was this point where people started to pick it up as like a, a maturing aesthetic. Um, because in the beginning, like it was all over the place and like, I was just bad at it in a lot of ways. And, and, um, and, and it wasn't a mature aesthetic at all. It was just kind of scattered feeling. And then after, you know, 20 episodes came out, it was like then that point where the, the aesthetic was starting to develop and people were seeking me out to a certain degree to like make work for me or ask me for, for pieces. Um, and that was, that was an amazing thing. Um, because I wasn't pitching out so much as people were pitching in. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a really special feeling when, when you have people who, who care enough to, um, realize that there are certain stories that can only be covered in certain ways. It feels like validation that the thing you're doing is working. Right. Is that, is there any way that you can fast forward to that process? Like it, it feels like you describing your your shyness and your quietness, right. you know, in childhood, it seems as though you should have from a very early age, someone should have just been like, Hey buddy, just so you know, you ain't a corporate team player. <laughs> you got to like be lone wolf here, but invest in it because right. after a little while you're going to eat plates of shit, but then eventually right. people are going to be calling you right. asking you to do the Jeff Entman thing. <laughs> do you always have to have this stepping stone of like working a, a, a job where you're creating someone else's vision and have your soul crushed and then yeah. quit it, rise like the Phoenix out of the ashes and then start your podcast that becomes popular five years down the road. Yeah. Or is there any way of, of getting right to the heart of that and like instilling in someone at a young formative age, Hey man, you just got to go do this and, and, and make it your own thing from the get go. You know, the short answer to that, that question is, I don't know. Yeah. Like I've only done it one way. Right. Um, and that way worked well enough for me. I mean, there's, oh, excuse me. That was a burp. <laughs> there's burp still it things. out. Right <laughs> in the mic. Let it out, Let it, Let's hear it. Oh, I did that off to the left. <laughs> um, uh, there may be ways of fast forwarding this process. And, and whenever I'm giving people advice, like when they're starting up, I'm like, I just, I just tell them, I was like, this is going to be shitty advice because, because what this is predicated on is the fact that you're going to do this after hours. You're going to have very low expenses. Yeah. Um, which is, I think I mentioned earlier, like my parents raised me to be frugal, which is something I'm intensely grateful for Mm -hmm. because, um, if you do it the way that I did it, which might just be a total fluke, like might just be total luck or just like good timing or something else that was way out of my control. Um, uh, if you're going to do that, you have to have a day job, um, and you have to live frugally and you have to just kind of shout into the void for a couple years. Um, until you have a body of work big enough for people to recognize it as something um, uh, unusual and have like the spotlight 
like kind of shine on you for a second and you're either going to survive that or you're not when it goes away. Um, the, the much safer option. Oh, and this is also of course like predicated on you not having student debt too after college, which is something I'm also intensely grateful for. Um, the much safer option is, is to work for, for someone else, you know, like having a real paycheck is an amazing thing and you get to spend 40 hours a week or more. Um, uh, honing a craft um, and learning from someone who knows what they're talking about. So mm-hmm. you don't have to make just tons and tons of mistakes over and over again to learn them. Sure. There's yourself. definitely huge yeah. benefit from that of actually kind of learning the ropes and, and figuring out right. how to do the thing. I would also, I would argue though, it's not necessarily safer though. I don't think the world, I don't think we live in a safer world where Jeff Entman doesn't express himself, <laughs> his innermost soul in here be monsters podcast. And <laughs> rather is resigned to the doing it for supporter. some doing it for someone else and living a shitty existence because i feel mm-hmm. that spread out all over society mm-hmm. is is a bad place to be i think that people being uh inspired within themselves to to push into something even when it's making you no money or negative money right. is a uh i don't know it's I don't know if it's better, but at the very least, we're not dealing with people who may or may not be on the cusp of, of losing their shit, of not being of insomnia, of of not being yeah. able to talk to people, to ask directions. I think that's a bad in society to live in. I don't want to get too judging on society right now, but but if we have a bunch of insomniacs who can't ask for directions, spread yeah. out all over the place, uh, we're living in a worse off spot. So yeah, I, I it's it's hard to. I don't know. It's hard to say like, yeah, you got to just resign yourself to to doing this shit that you don't really like to do. There is a certain amount of resignation though cuz you did you have carried with you a, a day job, right? Mm-hmm. What yeah. are some of the day jobs you've had to hold oh. while doing the Here Be Monsters? Well, yeah, and I still work a day job. Okay. Uh, just a couple blocks from here. Yeah. Yeah. Um so my first day job uh doing this, I worked in a pizza place uh bussing tables. They thought I was uh wait staff material and I proved them wrong. Nice. <laughs> got demoted you're like i can really serve that table well if it's a janitor octopus yeah. guy but uh otherwise i'll just stick to clearing tables. yeah i just yeah. wanted to be friends with all the customers yeah right like, <laughs> it didn't work out um i worked as a baker uh for for a while um and then i worked as a, a kite uh kite quality control person um which is like it was is not my favorite is job. Is that just testing kites? No, okay. no. It's like, it's like, hey, um, so our factory, uh, our kite factory in China, like they, uh, they messed it up and they mailed us like 2000 kites and all of the spreader rods are uh, like three millimeters too long. Like, can you open up each one of them, pull out that spreader rod, go like cut it in the fiberglass cutter uh, and put it back in the case? Oh God and Sounds like brutal there is your june you know what i mean <laughs> it's like just I, every day on the calendar <laughs> that was that was that God, was the worst that was the worst project at that job i did it was it was something to the effect of that i've, I've forgotten nice. the, the small details but i i honestly think I, I was only working two days a week though but like i honestly think it took me a month to do that because it was just i could see all the boxes and they were in a row i think i did about a box a day Oh man. But the job you hold now, you're you're a bike delivery guy. Yes. Do you find I mean that's a very physical job. You're riding yes. around all around all around the the city, Seattle. Mm-hmm. 
is that good for the podcast? Are you able to get out of your head by doing this exercise? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's part of the reason for keeping it. Was that intentional? Did you know mm-hmm. going into that? Like, I need to get off of the radio desk and I need yes. to go ride. All my day jobs have always been physical labor. Mm. Um, and that's been really important to me. And I'm, I'm an anxious enough person as is. Um, it would be 10 times harder if I wasn't getting, you know, I'm, I'm still only working two hours a week, but I'm getting, um, and short shifts too, but I'm getting eight hours of cardio, like exercise a week minimum. Um, and that's, that's really helpful for me to, to stay healthy, uh, both physically and mentally. Hmm. Yeah. Slows down the brain. I take it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It looks kind of some of the, some of the stuff fall out the bottom of my, of my mind. <laughs> um, I think, um, when I'm just sitting around thinking about something, it's usually like fairly linear. And when I'm riding my bike, it, the thoughts actually kind of go in circles um, and kind of tumble around. And sometimes like I'll just be riding around and some phrase will be bouncing around in my mind and it'll come out the right way. And that'll be like a question I ask someone in an interview or it'll be like an episode title or it'll be like um, a thought as far as like uh, some sort of musical element or sound element that I can put behind something that I would have I never thought of before. That's exactly the way I write stories. I yeah. come up with the first line and just walk around with it the whole yeah. day until that last word just like ding. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, <laughs> and then it flips mm-hmm. from there. Yeah. Almost yeah. a meditation process where you let it cook. But you forget mm-hmm. about it a little bit. You forget yeah. about it, but kind of chew it over. It's like mm-hmm. a piece of tobacco or something. It mm-hmm. just sits there and kind of juices. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's the same thing. And I think I think a lot of people who make creative work wind up doing physical activity to, to, to like solidify, solidify their thoughts. My roommate really loves music, has this huge record collection. And sometimes I'll just come home and he'll be playing a record really loud. And he, he paces, he paces while he listens because he wants to hear it fully. And, and there's something about like the walking that lets him absorb more information will just be pacing in circles it's almost more active it's almost a more active way of listening than if you're just a blob on a couch right it becomes i don't know easier to drift off or or be um distracted by the thing that you're actually trying to do which is hone in on the right on on the cool grooves and I, i think that there's not one that's better or worse there's just one approach that's better for some situations and others yeah by doing both i think you you, um, maybe there's a third approach too. I'm not sure what it would be, but like by, by having a variety of approaches, I think, I think that's, you know, when you work in, in solidarity or, or near solidarity, like having diverse mindsets is as best as you can have to having a diverse people, um, mm. to give you feedback and tell you you're an idiot, you know, which is really important to do from time to time, mm-hmm. you know? What is the, I guess the last question is what does the future of the podcast look like? Mm. After, um, <laughs> After, uh, let's just say this, um, after November, I've, I've given up on predicting the future, right? That was, uh, that was when I kind of sat myself down and said, you know what? Like some people, some people can see the future and that person isn't me. You know what I mean? Yeah. We have, um, last episode was 72. We do them in batches of 20. So we're going to 80 right now. We started at 61 this season. We're going to 80. Um, so that means we have, uh, quick math eight more episodes mm-hmm. yeah there you go <laughs> eight more episodes we have the next three or four plotted out pretty well um when i say we i mean me and my co-producer bethany denton um uh who came on when we joined up with kcrw uh two years ago um we have most of the rest of the season plotted out 
Um, I'm going to take a couple months off. I got some traveling I'm doing, get more stories and, and do some work. Um, and then come back with season six. I think that's, that's all I, I can where, say. Where can everyone find it? What's the best way to find it? Um, any podcasting app, um, you should be able to search for Here Be Monsters or KCRW's Here Be Monsters. It's got a rainbow logo. It says HBM in like 3D letters and there's like the full rainbow spectrum behind it. Um, any podcasting app will have it, but we also have a website that I I uh, am very proud of because I designed the the background image. I designed the background image for it, which is a bunch of like little monsters from uh, historic texts. Um, and that, that website is hbmpodcast.com, um, which is easy enough to find. And Google works too. It's just here be monsters. Thanks for listening, folks. It's been Anxiety Club. Thank you, Jeff, Thanks, for Jeff. coming on the show. As always, you can find Anxiety Club Podcast on Facebook. Email us. Anxietyclubpodcast at gmail.com or shoot us money at... Uh, paypal.me slash Benitez. That's paypal.me slash K-A-R-L-B-E-N-I-T-E-Z. Thanks for listening, folks. Mm-hmm.